This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Every year, the Administrative Committee hosts seminars that focus on various aspects of ministry from leaders around the PCA. While we had to postpone the General Assembly in 2020, our presenters were gracious enough to record their presentations. We're excited to share those seminars with you on gifts and graces. Listen now to Stephen Estock and Sue Jakes with their seminar entitled, Guardians of the Generations. Welcome to our seminar. I'm Stephen Estock, Coordinator for the Committee on Discipleship Ministries, and this is Sue Jakes, our Children's Ministry Coordinator for CDM. In CDM, our mission is to come alongside you in the local church and help strengthen your church by connecting you to the people and resources you need for discipleship ministry. And in this seminar, what we want to consider is how you are ministering to the children of your congregation. Let me get you to think about these these two questions. How would you describe your children's ministry? As you think about it, how would you characterize it? Would it be a committed to child care or would it be committed to child discipleship? This seminar is going to look at those ideas of analyzing your children's ministry and how you can begin to shape your ministry for not just what's happening now, but what it is happening in the future. Think about this. What culture are you preparing your children for? The culture that you wish there was or the culture that currently exists as we look into the future? One of the things we want to do is consider some research, recent research, and it's come out in a number of books. One is a book by Ed Stetzer on Christians in an age of outrage, how to bring our best when the world is at its worst. And another one is based on Barner research, it's Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in a Digital Age. And this particular book, Faith for Exiles, it really looks at some some research that Barna did using about 1,500 18 to 29 year olds and ask them, they'd grown up in the church and ask them about where they were spiritually and it divided them up into four different categories. 22% of that group were now considered prodigals or ex-Christians in, by their own, their own admission. 30% were nomads that were just sort of wandering around, weren't going to church, hadn't been to church in the last month, and just sort of no real commitment. 38% were habitual churchgoers, 
And then 10% was what they called resilient disciples. These are ones that had grown up in the church and were still committed to the church and serving in the church. And out of that Barna research, there came another book called Resilient. And this is where it took that Barna research and really applied it to children's ministry. So what have you noticed about this book? Well, I'm telling everyone to read it. And it's something that we are going to begin to uh, encourage children's ministry directors, but also leaders in the church to read. Um, they put the research together and found that there is a, a counterculture. 10% uh, of young Christians whose faith uh, is vibrant and robust, they're ready for the future, they're ready for the culture. Those they describe as resilient. Uh, what this book does is say that the future of the church is at stake. Uh, and we have got to do things differently because the culture is different. The world is facing new challenges. And so they did some interviews as well, but basically there are a lot of answers here, a lot of practical answers. And we're going to share some of them with you today. How do we begin to make resilient disciples? And the key is, how do you make disciples? And that's what we're about. How do you take God's Word and the relationships that we have uh, um, from adults to children and children among themselves and how do you begin to use that to lead a child, a covenant child, to embrace the covenant for themselves and then to grow up in that covenant so that even when they are growing older and having children of their own that it will be one generation to the next. Now one of the things that as you look at is the importance of how our culture is viewed. So you've well, talked about this. Yeah, story. there's a, a graph that you will see there on your screen that is a very interesting as far as how things have changed past to present. I just identify with it in my own life. I grew up in the South in the 50s and 60s and 70s and I remember thinking um, there was a, a family down our street, down the street, and they didn't go to church. <gasps> You know, and we were we knew that, and it was amazing. And I live in the same area today, and I get up, and I'm the only one coming to church. How could that have happened just in one lifetime? Well, this chart sort of illustrates that there used to be a great divide between those who um, went to church uh, occasionally, regularly, and those who are very convicted and passionate about it, and the culture. But the culture has influenced the church more than the church has influenced the culture. Barna has done a lot of research on that, and we've been looking at it in regards to what we're telling our children for quite some time here at CDM. Uh, his first book, Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions, we took that and said, how are we providing resources for the church so that they really are creating disciples in the midst of the next generation? Well, what the research is showing now is the great divide is no longer between those who call themselves Christian and the culture, but it is between convicted Christians and everybody else. The church, the people who attend, some regularly, occasionally, and those who are even saying, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. That's, that's um, my doctrine. That's my general belief in things. There is a wide divide between all of them and those of us who will stand and say things are different in our lives because of who we are and because of what Christ has done. So how do we begin to make that change? And going from just teaching the kids a lot of scripture, in fact, Resilient is written by the director of Awana, 
And they are taking a whole new look at what good does it do to just know all the scripture if we are not being very intentional in preparing our children for a culture that is rapidly changing. And what does it mean for the fearless future of the church? And really talking about, it's not that we don't know scripture, it's how do we apply scripture in our current living situation. Look again at this chart where in the past there was this mainstream culture <coughs> where the consensus was a Judeo-Christian consensus. And that was the divide between the Jude those who sort of had a, a Judeo-Christian or some people have used the term a Christ-haunted culture versus those who were another religious or they were completely secular. But what's happening, especially in the United States, we saw it earlier in Europe, is that it's now changed, where the mainstream culture is secular, and now there's a cultural divide between those who live their lives according to a secular consensus versus those who live as if God is real and God is active and God is at work not only in your life but also throughout the culture. My experience in dealing with church leaders many times is that um, many leaders are afraid of the culture. What have you seen as you're working with leaders? Well, I, I think that we're <coughs> afraid to talk about the hard things, and we're going to talk a little bit today about how we begin those conversations with our kids over the hard things. But the truth of the matter, Stephen, is some things never change. And one is that God has given his people clarity about who we are, uh, what he has done for us, uh, the power of the Spirit in us as we face things that are fearful and things that we don't understand. Uh, it, it hasn't changed, you know. There's Deuteronomy 6, which often we use in children's ministry, teach these things to your children as you rise up, as you lie down, as you walk along the way, as you sit in your house. Well, that was given as a commandment to God's people, and they were about to go into a very pagan land with um, opportunities that would be great for them to influence the culture, but also opportunities that would be great for the culture to in influence them and their children. And they received a lot of instruction about how to go to this place that they didn't understand and be faithful and certain and true. And oftentimes when I talk with young parents about just teaching the word as they rise up and down, they say, we're not really equipped. So a lot of what we're talking about today is not only you know, how we teach our children, but how we equip our churches and our parents to be consistent in preparing them to cross the Jordan over into that pagan land where everyone was afraid to go. There were giants. We are facing cultural giants today, but the word of God is still true and faithful. We just need to think about how it applies to everything we're doing. And that's a key thing to keep in mind. If you think contextually about Deuteronomy 6, Israel was feeling like they were inferior. They were insecure. There was so much because they had been slaves in Egypt. And then they had come to Mount Sinai. They'd experienced God. They'd seen him take them through the Red Sea. And then they went up to Gadish Barnea. And they said, we can't go in the land. There are giants in the land. They had taken their eyes off God. And they'd forgotten all the great things that had happened. Well, then... God said, you're going to wander until this generation who was unfaithful dies. 
And then the next generation will go in. So here's Deuteronomy 6. That next generation was right there on the verge of the promised land. They had the same insecurities. They had the same dangers of, as Sue said, the culture affecting them. But what was God's solution? Tell them of the great deeds of the Lord. And that's true today. As we face, and so often we feel insecure and, and fearful of what's around us. And we feel like we will be overwhelmed. But God tells us the same thing. He's not overwhelmed. Tell of His great deeds from one generation to another. But how do we do that? Are we making resilient disciples who defend the faith and who will defend the faith as this gap widens that we've been talking about? Well, resilience is the muscle that true discipleship builds as our children belong, believe, and become. I want to put those three words out there for you and just talk about exactly what that means. And it's a good place for you to look at your ministry to children and say, are our children uh, belonging and believing and becoming? The Word of God describes what it means to belong uh, in a verse that when we talk about children's ministry is oftentimes repeated in the church. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for as such belongs the kingdom of heaven. That's from Matthew 19, and as we think about that word, just asking the question, do our children feel that they belong? There's a lot of ways to answer that question, and, and it, part of it is how many people in your church know all the children, and how many of the children know all of the people in the church, and do they see that place where they come as just something to do or someplace to go, or do they see the church's family? One of my favorite quotes from Heirs of the Covenant, a book by Susan Hunt, uh, is that the family, the local family that, you know, where they go home to in their own house, is a great picture of the heavenly kingdom where they learn a lot about their heavenly father and about their brothers and sisters in Christ. But where that family is a snapshot, the church is the mural. It is full of all of those snapshots. And that our children can come there and they see, this is really family. And so they grow up belonging to it. Uh, in our certification program of children's ministry directors here at CDM, as we talk about these things, their first response is, this is great. We have so many ideas for the kids, so many things to teach them, so many things to show them, but our parents have got to own this. Our parents have got to belong to the church and begin to get that sense of family and, and see it as a life priority. Resilient disciples see the church as who they are, not what they do. And then the next thing is that they believe. And this is just the steady diet teaching of the word where they are hearing the word taught and, and in, in the right way, uh, from the right theological standpoint with the really good historical, redemptive, reform teaching of the Word from Genesis to Revelation so that they get the whole story. They understand who God is, their need of Him because of their sin, and what He has done in Jesus Christ for them. So believing, after they're belonging, the believing, but they look all around and they see there are a lot of people who are putting all of their hope and trust in the Word and in this truth. And then the next thing, belonging, believing, becoming. 
And as the research was done in several of these books we've referred to, one of the questions that was asked of kids in, in college and early adulthood was, how do you feel like the church prepared you for life and culture and job and all the things you're doing? A very consistent response was, we know what we believe, but we never were able to really talk about it or to share it or to practice it. And so we have a lot of things in our head, but not real sure how to use them. And so Becoming is about a church looking at children at the earliest age and asking the question, are you teaching other children younger than you? Are you mentoring the next generation even before you leave this place? And are you finding your gifts and talents in this place where you belong and believe so that you can become who it is God wants you to be as you go out? Uh, owning that ministry uh, at a very young age and learning to love and serve Jesus is very significant for becoming a resilient disciple. So as we are producing these resilient disciples, I love what Valerie Bell in the book Resilient calls us. He says, we become guardians of the next generation, making sure that, and I want to repeat these things again so you understand where we're going with all of the resources we want to lead you to. Are they belonging, knowing the church is who they are, not where they sometimes go, believing, knowing all of life defined and upheld by Scripture and the sufficient message of Jesus Christ, and becoming, knowing their purpose in life is to go and make disciples. How does the church guard the next generation, Stephen? And now as you think about this as a leader in God's church, of those three things, belonging, believing, and becoming, where is your focus? Or do the assessment of your congregation, of those three areas, where do you spend most of your time and energy and thought? My experience in working with leaders, particularly elders in the church, we're very keen on the believing, making sure that the curriculum is correct and within our boundaries and making sure the teachers are doing what they're supposed to be doing. But yet, all three things are necessary. How are we communicating to the children, to the next generation, that this church is not just for adults, it's for them too. As you think about your worship service, as you think about how you plan your events, are the children knowing that they belong? And are you communicating, not just this, everything's for you as soon as you get old enough, but what are they becoming? How are they putting their faith into action? Belong, believe, become. All three are important. How are we producing resilient disciples? I think it's a question that you can ask and get so many answers from different churches and it has to really work for your church, the people that you have that God has called together to be your guardians of the next generation. Uh, making them belong and believe and become is a community effort though, the whole church. And guess what it starts with? I don't think you'll be surprised with prayer. And, and prayer of a different kind. We're going to talk about that a little bit in a minute as to how you begin to really take seriously praying for the children of your church and engaging them in a way which they will also be praying for one another and for you. Uh, then there's that allegiance and identity thing. It's 
How do you create an environment that they really do identify with, that they know they are a part of, that not only do they belong to it, but it belongs to them? That resilient discipleship has to be a goal for everyone. So it has to be a vision that you communicate across the board with your church. We are working together to create the kind of disciples who 50 years from now, 30 years from now, uh, until Jesus comes back, know where they stand in regards to truth, in regards to, to salvation, in regards to the church and to the kingdom of God. And then your volunteers, those people who will just drop in every now and then on Sunday morning and take care of a child or teach a Bible lesson or uh, whenever, your volunteers in children's ministry must become leaders. Leaders in the vision to the entire congregation that this is what we're here about and how everyone can participate. So how do your volunteers lead? How do they go beyond just a little duty on Sunday morning perhaps? to knowing that they are a part of the fearless future of the church, creating disciples like none other in all time and space. Um, the number one outcome, this is a great uh, research statistic and statement that I, I want you to remember and encourages me so much. The number one outcome in predicting whether a child is going to do well or not it goes on to say, you know, to, to be a part of the church, to lead others to Christ, that to be uh, very focused with their own children into the next generation, is if they have an adult to put their arm around their shoulder and say, I'll walk this walk with you. I love that statement and had to include it because it's very much a part of my personal story. My photo of the family, my little snapshot, fell apart when my children were all of very crucial ages. And I have an 11 year old son that recently preached a sermon in Missouri and he sent me a copy of it and it was founded on this one thing, the church is my home and God is my father. And he talked about the adults in the church who came alongside of him and how he never questioned, even though his father had left and he wasn't sure what was going on with life going forward, there were arms all around his shoulders, older adults coming to, to help him. And, and I think we have to convince our adults that this is very significant in the life of our children now as to what they will believe and do in the future. And then the last thing that's listed here as producing resilient disciples and those that are going to make it in the future is redeeming technology. I cannot begin to tell you anything about that, but I'm convinced it's time to engage our older youth, our young adults, and say, help us. How can we take what God has given us here and really make sure that we're owning it as believers, uh, using it for not only to put the kingdom out there, but as we bring it in, uh, shoring up the next generation, they're ready to use it and own it, and they're not threatened by it, but instead see it as a great tool for being resilient disciples. Yeah, with that point, the whole idea of technology, I remember one of our staff members one time made a comment that we have to come to grips with the reality of where we are in our culture. I mean, we can look back historically and the printing press was a major shift in how we did church because you were able to print so many things and print out Bibles. And then you had another shift when you, the invention of the telephone, the invention of radio, the invention of the television. Well, now we have the invention of the smartphone. 
the invention of the tablet. And yet, our sovereign God, this was not a surprise to him, yet we in the church need to say, how do these things that are occurring in our culture, how do we begin to use them for the glories of our sovereign God? as we engage others who are now growing up with this as never knowing a day where they didn't have this particular technology. And it takes creativity and even, as Sue mentioned, bringing in some of these older youth who have captured this idea of what does it mean to live for the Lord with regard to the technology that's all around us. And Stephen talks about this with great understanding <laughs> as he has two sons who are Very so far ahead of him and you depend on them all the time. All the time. To I figure call them. out the next thing. So, Explain yeah. this to me. I help, don't even understand. Cry, help. <laughs> yeah, well, I want us to talk a little bit more about that prayer of a different kind. Um, and Stephen, you, you wanted to speak to that as well. One of the things that we've incorporated into all of our training for parents and, and teachers as we go out and do conferences and, and things like this, is a unique um, ministry that Tony Stouter started in his youth ministry network in Chattanooga, the Pray For Me campaign, mm -hmm. that will direct you, give you prayer guides, and direct everybody in your church as to how to pray for one another, so that you get, get three generations praying for every child and student in your church. Uh, my local church is now going through this for the second time, and we have 80 prayer champions and 68 kids and students who are being prayed for by three generations. It's a very exciting thing, and it, they give you everything you need to make this happen. Um, Stephen, you always look at that, though, and you think about the leadership and prayer. And well, that. and that's what I've never been part of a Pray For Me campaign. I've never been in a congregation that did that. But yet I have seen in a children's ministry where a children's ministry director was very intentional to bring elders into a classroom to pray for children. In, in particular, we had a, a children's church where the children were taken for a special time while the sermon was in the, the worship service. And, and our children's director would schedule time for elders just to come down at, as a part of that time and pray for the children. And it was funny to to hear the elders, some of them were very nervous about that because they didn't know what, what was going to be required of them. But all the children want is just somebody to pray for them and to care for them. But then the next step is for us as adults to ask children to pray for us. Realizing that we just because we are older in age doesn't give us greater status before the throne because it's all Jesus Christ. And God can use the prayers of a little child to melt our hearts and to teach us, to show us what it means to love Jesus. That's part of what Jesus was saying when he said, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. The children in their humble dependence can teach us much about going to the Lord. And so this idea of multi-generational prayer, and I think we as leaders need to be the ones initiating and inviting children to be a part of that because it gives them that sense of belonging. That prayer is not just something that adults do. It's something that I do because we're both coming to Jesus. Thank you.
The Bible compares the church to a house. If that's the case, the PCA Administrative Committee is the plumbing of the church. Its work is mostly hidden from view, and you don't appreciate it until it breaks. The ACE provides churches, presbyteries, and the assembly with the expertise and action needed to keep their ministries moving forward. They don't set the agenda for the PCA. They just make sure its agenda is accomplished. Their vital work depends on generous churches and individuals like you. Learn more about them at PCAAC.org. I think we also have a tendency to think that children aren't watching all of the time and they're watching all of the time. Uh, They are watching us pray. We don't just teach them about prayer. We need to pray with them. I had a very emotional time with my granddaughter last night whose other grandmother is very sick. And I said, Kara, let's just pray. And I prayed and I thought that at the end when I said amen, it would be over. But she began to pray and it was very powerful what she was thinking. Her real heart came out in that prayer and I'm not sure would have ever heard it without that moment. And so we must engage our children in praying and as we pray more and more with them, they become very comfortable praying with us and for us and their prayers are essential. And if a child learns to pray well at two, four, six, it will be part of their DNA when they're 22, 24, 26. So we can't be too intentional. The verse that's there on your screen with the slide can't be just passed over. I love what it includes and it is very much uh, what you pray for as you go through the prayer guide for Pray For Me campaign. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. Oh, as I pray for my grandchildren, I think about how I want the name of, the, of Jesus to be glorified in them and, he, and you in him. Oh, the glory of God in their lives according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we being faithful to pray that for our children? And I think that um, we would want to say yes, 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 but we cannot be too intentional. We need to plan it and be purposeful. The last thing that the book Resilient talks about on becoming, and that means really making it stick. How do the things we're teaching really stick with these kids? And I think it deals with some issues that I know my generation is horrible at. Uh, We kind of want to skip over the tough topics, things that we didn't grow up talking about. And the world is filled right now with things that I didn't grow up talking about. In fact, as a little Southern girl, we would have been, you know, carried to the woodshed for talking about some of the things that are now all over social media and in Disney movies and things that, that they're seeing all of the time. And so we must do these things very intentionally. Conversation is critical. You know it takes time to sit down and talk with a child, but they will choose that over watching a Disney movie. Having a conversation with an adult they know and love who is ready and prepared for the hard questions and will ask them, what do you think about this? What do you think? And let them talk and then you talk back. We need to engage in these issues and not avoid them. 
and we need students who mentor children uh, in the faith themselves. They need to turn around and be teaching pretty immediately what they have been taught. There's a tendency in the church, I think, over the years that we tell children everything we know, and they get a fifth or sixth grade, and it's sometimes a pretty hard to teach your Sunday school class because they'll tell you you're wrong about some things because they've been studying and they've learned and they've remembered their memories so much better than ours. And sometimes at that point, they'll even begin to say, oh, I'm bored, or we already know this. And you know they're right. They are at the stage in fifth, sixth, seventh grade where they're ready to begin to tell others what it is they know. That's a big paradigm shift for us because our education system kind of says, you keep learning, keep learning, you never quit learning. And they don't quit learning, but they must be given the opportunity to talk about what it is they know. Uh, so we try kind of at that age when they say they're bored and they know everything to entertain them. Uh, to you know, make things fun. How do we keep them, in, you know, involved? But you want an involved youth group, an involved group of teens in your church. Give them a place to serve, to talk, to teach, to lead. They're ready, and that's part of building these resilient disciples that will make it into the culture, into the next generation. Okay, so how do we do this? That might be the question you're asking. We've given you some ideas, but. Also, we want you to know that as you are making this attempt to minister to the children of your congregation now, preparing them for the congregation of 2050, is that you're not alone. That's why God gave the PCA a Committee on Discipleship Ministries. Our task is to come alongside you. You know your context better than we do, but our hope is that we can connect you to others and connect you to resources that either we've discovered or God has given us the opportunity to, to work with other people to produce. But our hope is that we want to be a broker of relationships and resources that will help you as you're trying to raise up a generation of resilient disciples. And so where are those resources? Well, the primary place is on our website where we say we want to connect you to the people and resources you need for discipleship ministry, pcacdm.org. And then we've also been able to develop resources like Teach Me to Worship. This started a number of years ago. It actually was in a church, Orangewood, one of our churches in, in the Florida region, and we took it and then it added to it, and it's now Teach Me to Worship. It's a curriculum designed to help you teach children about a worship service. And there are different activities with that, but that's available at teachmetoworship.com. We also partnered with an author to talk to create a children's book that talked about what does it mean to be baptized? And that's Good Shepherd's Pastor. What does it mean to be belong to a covenant community? Other books, uh, Lisa Updike, one of the members of our children's ministry team, has written a book, two books, Church is Not Boring and Bible is Not Boring. Uh, help parents work with their children to begin to tell them about what does it mean to be in church, how to, to belong to the church, and to read the Bible and to understand the Bible. And then we worked with another author in North Carolina to come up with a book called Little Pillars. And we have this not only available in hard copy, but also in a downloadable format. And this is a focus on the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. 
And then another highly recommended teaching books, we try to provide that through the PCA bookstore. And one thing to note, yes, we want to point you to resources that are produced by CDM, but not just produced by CDM. Our hope is to find out what resources are being used by people just like you in your church, and maybe we can be the way that others find out about it. So that's the importance of how we're that connector of people and people and people and resources. The people who do children's ministry in your church are different. Um, I know it may be a young mom, it may be an older woman who's been a school teacher, it may be your wife, uh, it, whoever is available to look at the kids and say what do they need and we have provided very practical resources. One is a podcast site called Grow and you can go on that site and just click on and listen to people who are doing the work of ministry with children in the church every day. Uh, it includes everything from preparing a lesson to uh, working with music and children to helping parents do worship at home. It, it, the, it's unlimited. The resources that are there and they're from people who know what they're talking about because they're practitioners. Uh, beyond the podcast, we have a Connect PCA Children's Ministry Facebook page. I would love for it to compete in a contest across the board for the most practical Facebook page ever. Uh, because the questions are asked, everything from uh, how you take one child to the bathroom when you don't have another person to help, to uh, what you do with a, with a little kid who uh, is always coming in with a runny nose. I mean, how practical can you get? But it also has great questions for how do you get kids to, to memorize scripture? How do you encourage your parents to come to church? And you can go on that page and ask any question. And there are a thousand people who are members of that page who will log in and begin to answer what they're doing in their church at this time. Um, it, like I said, just practical help in every way. And that's what we're here to do at CDM. We hold events. We hold regional conferences for parents and teachers and volunteers and leaders of the church to come together, hear a lot about what other churches are doing, and also get some very practical questions answered there. You can do a workshop on special needs. You can do a workshop on safety policy. You can do a workshop on music and scripture memory. You, there, it goes on and on. That list of things that when you think about the children of your church, how is it that you're coming together to build disciples? Um, we have two coming up, one in San, San Antonio, Texas in September, Harrisonburg, Virginia in November, and there are others that are being discussed. Go to our website, look and see if there's an event coming near you. Then every year we have an annual leadership training. It's been moved from April to November this year, but we go to Ridge Haven and we sit around round tables and rocking chairs outside the whole time and just talk with other people who are doing children's ministry about what works in our context. There's great teaching from the experts, I call them in the business. And the only way you get to be an expert in children's ministry is you just do it for a long, long time. But those people are there and willing. But we also have a group of new certification um, graduates who are a lot of them very, very young in church plants. Uh, started the church ministry from scratch and where they live and they are coming with us now and teaching about the things that churches are challenged with in this day and time. Speaking of certification, we now have uh, a program for your church that will take you through one year 
of topics and ideas and programming for your children's ministry. All you have to do is sign someone up in your church for the certification program at CDM and you become, uh, all of this becomes available for you. It becomes yours. Uh, one month at a time, beginning with being grounded in theology to developing outreach projects, to developing a policy and procedures, to directing a nursery program, everything that you could think of. We're now in our second year. We're about to be finished with certifying almost 80 people in the PCA to do children's ministry in their local church. Who can sign up for this? Well, we've had ordained pastors who end up in the church as an associate and they say, you're in charge of children's ministry. And they call us and say, help! And they take their church through this program. We have young moms who are in church plants who all of a sudden have you know, 15, 20 kids and they're not sure what to do next. And she's just a volunteer, but they, they pay for her to sign up and go through this as the church thinks through all of their policies, all of their programming, all of their planning for making disciples of their children. Uh, then we have children's directors in churches with 500 kids who say we need to revisit everything we do and ask the question why. Is this the best that we can do? Can we change some things? Um, and it's interesting we've had people from Canada, from Puerto Rico, from Southern California, from Boston, Massachusetts, who all come together and as they talk there was a lot of differences in their context and their situation but also a lot of similarities they've all been given a generation of children to teach about jesus and so the certification program is reaching a lot of people and you can be a part of that because anybody can be a part. oh my favorite ones i forgot to talk about my favorite one are the two women my age in a church in Mississippi that began to grow. They'd always had maybe 10 or 12 kids and all of a sudden they had 25 and then 30 and then 35. And they said, somebody's gotta figure out what to do with all these kids. They signed up for certification together, went through the program and they have loved it. They've loved helping their parents see what a significant thing it is to, to love the church and to bring their kids into all of the teaching and the programming of the church. So think about certification for your church. One of the things I've really enjoyed as I've sort of watched it from coordinator, teaching elder position as I've looked over the different people coming into our certification program and reading the mentor reviews are those who come into the certification and in some cases, they don't even know their, what does it mean to be in a PCA church. They don't know our doctrine. They don't know. They were just the person that was available to do the children's ministry. And then, as they go through, they see the covenant theology, the beauty of what it means to, to raise children, to disciple children according to God's word and God's covenant. And then you have this children director get excited. And, and not just a, a theoretical principle based, only cognitive, it's actually not only how do you take this wonderful doctrine and how does it play out in very practical ways in the life and ministry of the church. And it's, it's exciting for me as an elder in the church to see how God is equipping these leaders as they're raising up a next generation of the church. As we close out, we think about this wonderful blessing. It's really a doxology that Paul gives at the end of one of his prayers of discipleship in the book of Ephesians. 
where he talks about knowing the love of God and the height and breadth and length and all of this beautiful love of God. And he closes in this way. And may God bless you as you think about your ministry to make that move from child care to child discipleship. And you may be overwhelmed as you think about our culture and how are we going to implement this? Well, may these words from the Word of God bless and empower you. Now to Him who is able to do more, far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. May God do that work in your life as an individual and in your life as a congregation. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They're free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.